So normally uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer together before we get into the sermon. Uh, but today I want to pray a special prayer for Ukraine. And so if you would just extend your hands as if we're just as if we're laying our hands on our brothers and sisters in Ukraine from afar. And would you bow with me as we pray? Father God, King of all nations, we cry out to you now for the people of Ukraine. We ask that you rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies and that they may live without fear before you all of their days. Lord of lords and Prince of peace, would you be true to your name? Our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since World War II. And we simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. Would you thwart the dark doings of evil men? Would you give wisdom beyond wisdom to peacemakers seeking an equitable and less violent way? May politicians exercise the wisdom from above, which is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, and full of mercy. Holy Spirit, we pray for the church, the followers of Jesus in Ukraine, a nation in which 70% of the population calls themselves your disciples. Would you give our many brothers and sisters in that nation courage in this crisis that they may proclaim the good news of your kingdom, that they may bind up broken hearts and bring comfort to all who mourn. You, Lord, make wars cease to the end of the earth. You break bows and shatter, shatter spears and burn shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many people in Ukraine. Would you make a peace that is strong and not weak? De-escalate this crisis in your name, we pray. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you. And so we address the nations now in the name of Jesus. We say, be still and know that he is God. And that you will be exalted among the nations. And you will be exalted in the earth. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Worthy is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Would you have mercy upon us? Worthy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Would you grant us peace? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, I feel weird pivoting into a funny story, and that's which is what I have here. So I'm not going to go into a funny story. I was going to tell a story about me wrecking a sailboat on the first day of my honeymoon, but we just prayed for Ukraine, and it feels out of place. So I'm just going to read our passage for today, which is John chapter 15. We've been studying the gospel of John, and... We, today we find ourselves in John chapter 15 for the second week. We're reading Jesus' words in verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So this is the command of Jesus in John chapter 15. Abide. He says, abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. And we talked about this last week. We're talking about it again this week. And that's a, there's something moving about that. There's something poetic about that. Abide in me. There's, that's, that's comforting. And it sounds, on one hand, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Abide in Jesus. That, just abide. And it is easy. Just abide in him. On the other hand, it's a command. <laughs> it's like a child being told, stay right there. Do not move. They have to make a conscious decision to not be distracted. You know, when you tell your kids, stay right there, do not move, and then you walk away, and it's hard for, the, for a child. They have to fight, and they have to make a conscious choice to not be distracted. Such is our life with God. God is the one who does the work. We abide in him. He bears much fruit. We don't have to be, bear the pressure of bearing fruit. He bears the fruit. We abide in him. He produces fruit in us. God is the one who does the work, yet he commands us to abide. So he does the work, but yet there is, in one sense, we also labor to abide in him. Uh, the other, another word for the, uh, this word abide, if you have the New International Version, it says we remain in him. We have to fight to remain in him. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. This is, this is Christianity 101. Abide in Jesus, and we bear much fruit. But the, and it sounds easy, but how do we do it? How do we do it? Practically speaking, how do we abide in Jesus? How do we remain in Jesus? As one of my friends says, how do we keep the remain thing the main thing? So I want us to see three things today that I believe will help us practically learn what it means to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus. And the promise of this is if we abide in him, our lives will produce fruit, that he will produce fruit in us and through us. So the first thing, or there's three things I want us to understand. I want us to remember the person in whom we are abiding, the practices that help us abide, and the purpose of why we abide. So the practice, the, or the person of abiding, is Jesus. The person, it's all about Jesus. You may remember a few weeks ago, we had a, an online worship service the Sunday after Christmas. So Christmas was on a Saturday. Nobody was coming to church on Sunday, on Christmas Day. So we did an online service, and it was awesome. Uh, Emily uh, Mueller, our kids director, she preached a really incredible short message 
on this scripture and about abiding in the new year. And she gave an image that I have not been able to shake. It's a great image of what it means to abide in Jesus. And she explained that she loves a good story. Emily, she loves to read. She likes reading novels. I gave her a novel for Christmas this year. That was Emily Loves to Read. She said, uh, she explained that she loves a good story. And she said, that's books, that's television shows. And you all know this. If you're in the middle of a good book, or if you're watching a television show that kind of comes, not one that you can binge, one that comes week at a time, and you have to think about the episode all week, you know what it's like to be so taken into a story. And you're waiting for the next episode the next week. Or if it's a novel, you're waiting for more free time to where you can get back into the novel and go through the story. You can get so swept up in a good story that uh, throughout your day, you're thinking of the characters. You're thinking of the plot line. And you can get so swept up and caught up in the story that it affects how you feel. It affects your mood. It affects how you think. It affects what you talk about. It can affect all these things. Listen, no lie. My mom one time, she was so deep in a novel that she was enjoying. She became so immersed in the story and attached to the characters that she had to close her novel one night to go to a prayer group at her church. When she got to this prayer group and they said, does anybody have any prayer requests? I am not kidding you. This is a 100% true story. My mom is watching online. She can let us know in the chat if I'm lying or not. She was so immersed in her story that when her Bible study group asked for prayer requests, she asked for them to pray for one of the characters in the novel. She was so deeply abiding in the story of her novel that the lines of reality blurred. And she spoke of one of the novel's characters as if they were real. And then she quickly caught herself and she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm talking, we don't have to pray for my novel character, right? Uh, when you get swept up in a story, you get swept up in a story. Um, we all know men who are swept up in Marvel, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> comic books. I'm getting like, I mean, come on, guys. Amens for Marvel. Let's, all right, I want to hear those. When we get to the Jesus part, I want to hear the same enthusiasm. But there are guys, I went to a comic book store just yesterday, and it was filled with a bunch of dudes who are swept up into the stories of comics, comic books. I see a couple guys in here wearing comic book T-shirts. You're swept up in the story. We abide in stories that move us. We get caught up in them. And when we get caught up in these stories, it affects us. It shapes who we're becoming. And so if we're going to abide in Jesus, we must know the story of Jesus. And we must know who he is so that we can get caught up in the story of who he is and what he has done. You see, you can only abide in Jesus to the extent that you know who Jesus is. And how do you know who Jesus is? Through the scriptures. This is how he has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself through the scriptures. He told his disciples in this passage, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus tells his disciples, every word that I've said to you about who I am, every word that the scriptures testify about me and what I am doing, remember those words, get swept up in those words, and you will abide in me, and, you, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. And what, does the scriptures, what do the scriptures tell us about who Jesus is? Well, first they tell us that he was there when the world was created. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, Jesus was with God, 
and he was God. The scriptures teach us that Jesus grieves when we distance ourselves from God through disobedience. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus set his heart toward us to deliver us and to forgive us of our sin. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born under the law to redeem those of, who were under the law so that we might become children of God. The scriptures tell us that he humbled himself, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His word teaches us that he loves the outsider, that he is tender with the brokenhearted, that he welcomes the lonely, that he heals the sick, that he gives sight to the blind, that he gives food to the hungry and clothing to the poor. The scriptures tell us that he eats with sinners. He dignifies women in a culture where they were pushed to the side. He stands with the oppressed and he washes the feet of Judas, the man who would betray him. And he calls his disciples friends. The scriptures tell us, Jesus himself tells us that he is the living water and that if we drink of him, we will never thirst again. He tells us that he is the bread of life and that if we partake of him, we will never be hungry again. The scriptures tell us, he tells us that he is the door of salvation and if we walk through him, we will walk into eternal life. He tells us that he is the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome the light that he is shining into your life and into our world. He tells us that he is the good shepherd and that he leads us beside still waters and he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He says that he is the resurrection. He says that he is the way. He says that he is the truth and he says that he is the life and that if you want to go to the Father, it goes through him. He says that if we seek him, he will lift our anxiety. He says that if we confess to him, he will forgive our sins and he will remove our shame. The scriptures say that he died a death he didn't deserve for the very people who did deserve it. And while he was dying, he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And while he was dying on the cross, he forgave the very men who were hammering nails into his hands and feet. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that invitation into paradise and that forgiveness for things we don't know what we're doing extends not just to the thief on the cross and to the executioners on the day that Jesus was crucified, but that invitation and that forgiveness is extended to you and to me today. And after Jesus breathed his last breath, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he got up and walked right out of it. And he appeared to his disciples. He comforted them. He cooked them breakfast. I love that detail. He gave his disciples a mission to take the good news of his resurrection to the world, but he didn't send them on their own all alone to take this message. He gave them his very spirit to empower them and give them the words to say as they went. And he promises us that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. And he has promised us that right now he is in heaven at the right hand of his father preparing a place for you and for me for all of eternity. And he has promised that he will come again and that he will bring us all the way home and he will end all wars 
and all striving will cease, and he will remove all evil and suffering from this world, and he will wipe every single tear from our eyes. And so if you want to abide in Jesus, and if you want to bear the fruit that abiding in him produces, you have to know that story, and you have to know him. And you have to be caught up and swept up in that story again and again and again and again. And that has to be the story that guides and moves and gives wind to your life. Which leads me to the next thing that we need to know, that if we want to keep the remain thing the main thing, we have to know the practice of abiding. You see, abiding requires discipline. You see, if you really want to abide in Jesus, if you want to be caught up in that story, you have to know the story. And how do you know the story? You know the story by reading his word, by gathering with people who know the story, who can remind you of the story. You get swept up in the story by singing the story, which we just did. You get swept up in the story by praying to the one who wrote the story. You get swept up in the story by doing the things that the one who wrote the story and the one whom the story is about has told us to do. You see, if you want to be caught up in the story and abide in the story, you must order your life in such a way that you are constantly being reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this is the grace of Jesus. God has given us all sorts of resources and disciplines and practices that are meant to help us connect us to him and abide in him. And these things lead us to producing fruit in our lives, lead him to producing fruit in our lives. We call these things spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, but in reality, they're gifts. Gifts that God has given us that help us to know Jesus more. Things like reading the scripture. That's a gift. That's not a chore. Do you know this? God did not give us the scriptures so that we can feel guilty because it's collecting dust on our nightstand. <laughs> God gave us the scriptures so that we could learn more about who his son is and that we could glorify him as a result. He says, Jesus says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. That's studying the scripture. Jesus then says, you can ask whatever you wish. That's prayer. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What are Jesus' commandments? Things like honor the Sabbath. Take a day to rest. Isn't that a good gift? <laughs> Isn't that a good invitation? What are other Jesus' commandments? Honoring others, generosity, forgiving others, serving, worshiping with others, taking communion. These are all commands, but they are also gifts that God has given us so that we can know him more. You see, God doesn't give commands so that we can stay busy. God didn't give us commands to keep us busy or to give us something to do until he returns. He didn't give us busy work like your, you know, high school math teacher used to do. You're like, why am I doing all this work? God doesn't give us busy work. God gives us gifts that if we do them, they are meant to connect us to the vine that gives us life. You see, when you read the scriptures, you are reading the story that I just recited to you. You're immersing yourself in the story so that you can know the story, so that you can abide in the story, and so that the story, so the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus can produce fruit in your life. When you pray, you are spending time with Jesus, and you're listening to his voice, and you're let, casting your burdens and your cares on him. When you are generous, 
you are saying, God, I trust that you will give me everything I need, and so I'm going to give you what I have and trust that you will provide for me. When you attend church, you're saying, the story matters, and I want to gather around people who believe the story, and I want them to remind me of the story, and I want them to tell me how the story has played out in their lives so that they can help me abide in the story. When you honor the Sabbath, you're saying that I am not what I produce. I am who Jesus says I am. I'm a, I'm a beloved child with whom God is well pleased. And so I don't have to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I can shut the laptop, I can turn off my phone and take a day to just worship and rest. When you take communion, you're reminding yourself that your, your forgiveness was purchased by the blood of Jesus being poured out for you and the body of Jesus being broken for you. See, all these things are not things that are meant to make us feel guilty when we don't do them. They are things that are meant to help us connect ourselves to the vine which produces fruit in us. You see, abide in me is a command, which means that there's obedience and there's intentionality involved. Listen, you don't accidentally drift into abiding Jesus. No one has ever accidentally stumbled into spiritual maturity. One of the most spiritual, sacred things you can do is structure your life in such a way that you know Jesus more and that you remain in him. Some people take this to serious extremes. They're called monks. <laughs> called the desert fathers. You know, they escape the world. They go out into the desert, go to a monastery, and they just order their lives around prayer and Bible study. And that's, I love, I, I love to read from the monks. I've benefited greatly from, you know, people like St. Benedict and all those sort of things. But you're not, we're not all called to be monks. We have real lives and real families. But while we're not monks, we should all order our lives in such a way that we have space to abide in Jesus and we have set times in our life where we focus on Jesus, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and his return. And this looks different for everyone. And I'll, let me just share with you what it looks like for me. And I know that many of you are going to say, well, you're a pastor, it's easy for you. Listen, yes, I'm a pastor, but I still, my day is still filled with school pickups and struggling with math homework with my kids my day is filled with Zoom meetings and budget reports and tedious emails just like everybody else, okay? <laughs> um, but here's what, here's what my life looks like. Um, yearly, so annually, there are, there are set times where I focus on the story of Jesus in specific ways. Quit texting me, whoever that is. It's my mama texting me, telling me not to talk about her in my sermons anymore. So annually, there's set times. Advent is a season where my family and I, and as a church, we reflect on the, on the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Christmas is a time where we reflect on the incarnation of Jesus. He put on, he emptied himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he became a man so that he could die as a man in our place. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, Lent. Good Friday is a time where we fix our eyes on the cross of Christ. Easter is a day where we celebrate the resurrection. These are all annual days that come every year, and those are days that are meant 
And you set aside those whole days. You celebrate them in all sorts of different ways so that you can abide in who Jesus is. I also, things I do annually, I might go on a retreat or a conference or some sort of thing where I go and I get away from Brooklyn for a little bit and I just go, uh, I go get around Christians for a week or so and we celebrate uh, who Jesus is. Monthly, uh, I, meet with a, uh, I meet with a Christian counselor. Uh, I also have monthly phone calls with a couple of close friends who are pastors all throughout the country, and we sort of encourage each other. Monthly, I've got my, uh, 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 what do you call it, regular giving on, my, on the, what do we call it? The recurring giving, recurring giving on the planning center. Uh, and I, when, that, when that check hits, and I go, oh my goodness, that's, I could use that money for this or that or whatever, it's a reminder to me that I go, my money is not mine, it's Jesus's. And I remember that God has provided for me and so I'm gonna give to him. Weekly, I have days where I, I have moments, or weekly I have days that I set aside for certain moments to worship. Sabbath, I usually take a Sabbath on usually Saturday. It's a day that I don't work, I don't check email, I set limits on my phone use and I just enjoy the gifts that God has given me like my family and rest. Wednesday, 8 a.m., I pray with it, you guys on Zoom, our 8 a.m. prayer call. Sunday, I worship with other people. And when I'm on vacation, I go to church on vacation. That's just me. I take communion on Sundays. I have day, you may have days set aside for growth group or book study. There are certain days in your week that are set aside for certain things that help you abide in Jesus. Daily, I structure my days so that there are moments each day where I'm intentionally taking time to remember who Jesus is so I can abide in him. So when I wake up, the first thing I usually do is I'll read a chapter of a book that, where the main goal is just to nourish my soul. This isn't a book of deep theology. It's not some kind of thing I read to impress people with my knowledge. It's just a book that tells me about who Jesus is. I do this right before I play Wordle, anybody. And then on my walk to the office, I have an app called Pray As You Go. I just throw my headphones in and I listen to this app. It's a guided prayer. Sometimes if I, if I'm, if I leave early enough, I'll stop by Our Lady of Angels. They have a beautiful sanctuary. I'll stop in there, sit in the back, and I'll pray there. And then when I get to my office, see, you can redeem your commute. You know this? When you're sitting on the train, throw your headphones on. You can, there's scripture apps that read scripture to you. There's podcasts of sermons. There's prayer apps. There's all sorts of things you can put in your headphones to redeem that time. And the first thing I do when I get to my office, because this is one of the things, it's a benefit to being a pastor. You don't get this, I know. But the first thing I do when I get to my office is on work time, I open my Bible and I study the scriptures. That's a perk of the job. You may have to do it at different times. And then when I get off work, I always go for a run. And for me, that's a time where I pray, I meditate. Sometimes I'll put headphones in and I might listen to a sermon. And then every night there's this moment where I put the, I, our bedtime routine is I put my little girls down, my wife puts our son down, and our son takes a little bit longer. So I have, usually have about 10 minutes while my wife is working with my son. And I listen to, I t use another prayer app called the Examine Prayer App app that helps me examine my day and that helps me see where the spirit was moving and moments where I resisted the spirit I confess my sin I give it to the Lord I receive his forgiveness and I sort of I sort of examine my day and with the spirit present with me that's my that's my that's what I do now and the purpose of this is to abide in Jesus the purpose is not to fill my day with a bunch of religious things in fact most of that doesn't take up a ton of time 
But I read the scriptures, I pray, I attend church, I take communion, I do all those things so that I can set my life in a direction to where I'm abiding in Jesus. What does that look like for you? How, do you, how, do, how can you structure your life in such a way, discipline your life in such a way that you are aligned with the direction that Jesus is speaking so that you can hear his voice and that, so you can be propelled onward by him? You see, abiding is a command. It's a practice. It's a discipline. And the rewards are great when we remember the purpose of why we abide, of why we do those things, which is our third point, which is the purpose of abiding. The purpose is that we bear the fruit of Jesus. You see, if I stopped right here, this sermon would be incomplete because you might walk out of here and you go, all right, spiritual disciplines, 15 things I need to do. I'm going to do those. I'm going to nail them. I'm going to do amazing. But there must, I've got to insert a word of caution here. Because spiritual practices are not the goal. Spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines are not ends in and of themselves. They are means to an end. The end is to know Jesus more. When you make it about the spiritual disciplines, it will only produce arrogance, frustration, or distraction in your life. Here's what I mean. Arrogance. You remember Jesus scolded the Pharisees? the religious leaders of his day, he said, look, you guys know the scriptures, you pray a million times a day, you give away all your money, but you do not know me. You missed the point. He says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's the scriptures that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, on the last day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. We did all the spiritual practices. And Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see, spiritual practices are not the end goal. They are means of knowing Jesus. But when we make them the end goal, we can become prideful and we can miss the point. Other times we feel frustrated because of spiritual disciplines or we get discouraged or we feel like we don't do them right or well enough. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where maybe you're around other Christians, maybe in a small group or a Bible study, and it just seems like everybody in the room knows more Bible than you. You ever been in that room, in a situation like that? And you listen to the people pray and you're like, where did they get that vocabulary? Like, how did they learn to pray so eloquent? This is King James himself speaking in King James English in the prayer. You're like, and you feel so inadequate. You're like, and they're like, all right, Will, now it's your turn to pray. And you're like, I don't know the words. You just, I don't know how to do what you just did. And then you get frustrated with yourself, right? Anybody ever been there? You feel frustrated with yourself. You're like, I'm not at the same level of these people, and I feel like I don't do it right. And so you start, what you do is you stop abiding in Jesus, and you start abiding in comparison, comparison of yourself with others. And the spiritual practices now become things where you're practicing to get better at being a Christian in small group than you are about actually knowing Jesus. You're like, I, I need to pray so that I can be better at praying so I don't embarrass myself at prayer group. Wrong motive. Jesus says, these things are not to impress other people, and the goal is not to be awesome at prayer. The goal is to know more of me. You see, spiritual disciplines and practices, they are important, but we must remember why we do them, or we risk missing the point. And we risk missing Jesus in the process. We can become prideful, like I said, we can become discouraged, but we can often become distracted. Many times we can get so busy doing Christian things that we lose sight of Christ. I think of, you know, a spouse 
who takes on a second job because they say, I've got to provide for my family. But then they forget why they took the second job in the first place. They get obsessed with their work, wrapped up in their work. They become distracted, and then they begin neglecting their family. What began with good intentions led to them missing the point and getting distracted. Listen, we don't practice spiritual disciplines to earn God's favor. We practice spiritual disciplines to enjoy God's favor, to abide in God's favor. I want to leave you at, with the story. I, I, want, I want to tell you the story of Martha in the, in the Gospels. You guys know Martha, Mary and Martha? The story of Martha in the Gospels is one of my favorite stories of spiritual growth. We really only see her two, three times in the Gospels. The first time we see her, um, we, we, we see her in Luke chapter 10. This is what it says in Luke chapter 10. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. That's a spiritual discipline, serving is. And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She's not serving you. She's not doing it. There's arrogance. There's pride, there's a little bit of Pharisee in her. He said, she says, tell my sister to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Anybody, Bunch fans? You are anxious and troubled about many things. See, she's frustrated. She's discouraged now. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's abiding in me, which will not be taken away from her. Now, is serving Jesus bad? No. If Jesus came to my house, you better believe I'd be cleaning the baseboards and setting the table, nice centerpiece. Hospitality's not, not the problem with Martha. Martha had lost sight of the purpose of serving Jesus, and she had lost sight of the fact that he was in her house. And it, she became distracted, she became angry, she became prideful. My sister has left me to do all the work. She became frustrated. I'm anxious. Jesus said, you're anxious and troubled. And Jesus says to her, Martha, I'm right here. You're so busy serving me that you're not enjoying me. And he actually rebukes her for serving him. Crazy. Well, the next time we see Martha is in John chapter 12, which is right after he has literally raised her brother from the dead. And it says, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. What was Martha doing? Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary took a pound of expensive ointment from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the, per per of the perfume. Listen, I'm not exactly sure how much time had passed between those two events. But I do know that in between that time, Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. And she had seen his power and she had seen his kindness. And now, what is she doing as a, as a response to all that? The exact same thing that Jesus rebuked her for. But now she's doing it in such a way that there's no indication that Jesus is rebuking her for it. In fact, the way it's written, the way John writes it in her gospel, she's honored for the way she's serving. What changed? She's doing the same thing in the presence of Jesus. What changes is that she's no longer distracted. She's no longer frustrated. She's no longer angry or arrogant. She's still serving, but she was serving with the right purpose. 
This was how she honored Jesus. This was how she placed herself in his story. This was how she abided in him. She was no longer serving to earn his approval. She was serving to enjoy his blessing. Why do we abide in Jesus? Jesus told us, this is our purpose. This is why we do these things. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Why do we read the Bible? So that his joy may be in us and our joy may be full. Why do we pray? So that his joy may be in us and our joy may be full. Why do we go to church? So that his joy will be in us and our joy may be full. Why do we give of our money generously so that his joy will be in us and our joy will be made full? Why do we fast? Why do we take communion? Why do we go to Bible study? Why do we do all these things? So that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be may be full. You see, we abide in Jesus not as a way of earning his approval, but enjoying it. And this is what I want for your life. This is what I want for my life. This is what I want for our church. I want us to be a church that loves studying the Bible. I want us to be a church that prays with boldness and with faith. I want us to be a church that loves one another in sacrificial ways. I want us to be a church that worships together every week. I want us to be a church that serves the poor and those in need. And I want each of you to take your spiritual life seriously. Seriously enough that you are going to battle with your distraction. And that you order your life around abiding in Jesus. But I want you to do it in such a way that it makes us more like Jesus. This is how we keep the remain thing the main thing. We remember that we are in whom we are abiding. And we remember that abiding takes intentionality. But we remember that above all, abiding, we remember that the, pur- the purpose of abiding is so that we bear the fruit of Jesus, not so that we bear the fruit of religiosity, but that we bear the fruit that only Jesus can produce. This is how we keep the remain thing, the main thing. Let me pray for us, Crossroads. Father, we thank you for the story, the story of your kindness that you've created all things and that in you all things hold together. We thank you that you have set your heart to deliver us from sin, that you came into this world, that you lived that perfectly obedient life, a life we could never possibly live. You taught us many things about how we could find you, about how we could seek you, about how we can abide in you. You died the death that we deserve in our place You rose from the dead and you've empowered us to take your hope into the world, but you haven't left us alone. You've sent your spirit into our lives to empower us and lead us along the way. And you've promised that you are preparing a place for us. You've promised that you will come again and that you will judge us not based on our performance, but on the performance of Jesus. And you've promised us that you will remove all evil and all suffering and that you will wipe every tear from our eyes and that you will dwell with us, that we will be your people and you will be our God and we will reign with you forever in eternity. And so God, I pray we never lose sight of this story. The story that is written in the scriptures, the story that you have set in our hearts. Eternity has been set in our hearts that we might not sin against you. So I pray God that we not sin against you and that we would live lives of abiding in you, that we would order our lives in such a way that we know more of you continually, and we learn, and we grow, and we we abide more in you each day, and each month, and each year. 
that you would, we ask that you would produce fruit in our lives. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.